Ortho Laser Orthopedic Laser Centers is proud to sponsor the Ortho Show podcast. Ortho Laser Orthopedic Laser Centers is killing it right now. We have six centers open with two more opening in the next eight weeks with 10 more sites in the queue across the country. We're exclusively powered by the MLS M8 laser technology. Laser treatment is an awesome alternative to traditional cortisone shots and surgery for all of your acute and chronic orthopedic pain needs for your patients. To find out how you can supercharge your orthopedic practice and become a part of the OrthoLaser community, go to the OrthoLaser website at www.ortholaserwithaz.com. That's www.ortholaserwithaz.com. For medical media, this is The Ortho Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, the original opioid sparing orthopedic surgeon here to host another episode of the Ortho Show podcast. We have a spectacular guest tonight. I am super excited to be able to present Ivan Wong. Ivan uh, is a Canadian orthopedic surgeon that specializes in the hip, knee, shoulder, uh, primarily doing uh, arthroscopy. He's an associate professor at Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia, one of the greatest cities on the planet, which I love. He completed his fellowship at SCOE in 2009. I'm going to say this out loud, and I know that there's going to be some people that are going to be a little pissed at me, but I don't care. Ivan Wong may be the most gifted arthroscopist of his generation. Uh, you know, I like to joke around. I'm going to call him the Spider-Man of arthroscopy. He's up on the ceiling, upside down, shooting his webs. And those those things are going in. The block's moving over. Everybody's looking around like, what just happened? But here he is, Dr. Ivan Wong. How are you, brother? Good. Very good. Thank you very much for having me on. Thanks a lot. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, it's uh, we've known each other for a while. And, uh, you know, what I, what I love about you, Ivan, is that, uh, you know, you've only, you know, you've been in practice for, you know, 11 years or so, or and, uh, and you're just uh, such a well-recognized face in the arthroscopic world, and all the medical device companies want to work with you. And here you are up in Halifax, Nova Scotia, in the Canadian health system, and you're just doing some really cool stuff that uh, that we all admire. So really great to have you on, man. No, no, it's been it's been an honor. I've been I've been very lucky. I'm glad we'll we get a chance to talk uh, outside of all the conferences that I get to uh, hang out with you at. So thanks a lot for having me on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. So let's start off with with uh, your fellowship, which is you know one of the one of the greatest arthroscopy fellowships in the world, really. Uh, the Southern California Orthopedic Institute with Steve Snyder and Gettleman and and Burns and Mark Albritton. What year was what year was Albritton? Was he close to you? He's a little older than you. Yeah, it was a few few years before I was there. Yeah, it's one of the things I think about a lot. You know, all of the the great orthopedic surgeons that uh, helped train me, and you know, I sort of look back. I've got you know uh, J.R. Richmond and, and Neil Elitrage and Frank Job and. Jim Taboni. I mean, the list goes on and on. So tell me about the people that really, really most influenced you in your arthroscopy training. Well, so of course, when, when you talk about arthroscopy, uh, I started off uh, in Canada. Um, it's, it was at, an, in, at its infancy in Canada, you know, went through residency at McMaster. Uh, they recognized that uh, uh, arthroscopy is of interest. They didn't have a whole bunch going on at the current time. And they suggested, look, why don't you look elsewhere? Why don't you look down south of the border? We don't have that many people that have gone there uh, to do this. But, um, but we didn't have that many connections. So, so they introduced me for, for a couple of different fellowships. I was lucky enough to have a, 
uh, electives to go down, explore a couple places, explore uh, um, Stephen Hawkins uh, down in Vail, got a chance to go visit Snyder and at SCOE and, and really fell in love with the place. And, uh, and just like everything else that you learn, it's who your mentors are and who, who guides you, who you can envision yourself being. And obviously, I was lucky enough to, to connect with Snyder on my elective down there that, uh, that he really took me under his wing. And, and, you know, from there, it's been history. It's just I've been trying to absorb everything like a sponge and trying to do that for all of my uh, trainees as well. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, you know, the same holds like I did my fellowship at Curl and Job, and there's a few few people on the planet that you still call doctor, right? You know, when yes. Job was alive was Dr. Job. And I'll never, you know, I'll never forget it. So I, I had some video technique I was doing on the biceps and we popped it up on Vumetti. And uh, like it was up there for maybe a few days. And then all of a sudden, Steve Snyder puts a comment. Great job, Scott. And I was like, oh, I'm awesome. <laughs> you know, Dr. Snyder liked my technique. I made it, you know. It's so cool. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, he's, uh, it's amazing how influential he's been, you know, in the process. Were you, uh, were you at Anna a couple of years ago when uh, Kataro Yamakado won the paper for the best paper for uh, single versus double row rotator cuff repair? I think I was there. I, I wasn't there at this specific time, but yeah, it, it was, it was really interesting to watch. Obviously, you know, Steve being his single row, uh, 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 guru and, and trying to, trying to showcase this has been, it's been wonderful watching the debates go back and forth. Yeah, no, I, I it's so funny because Kataro spent some time with me in rain and we were, we're doing some, uh, uh, some arthroscopic techniques in the lab and we were doing a little arthroscopic ladder J and, uh, and then literally like 10 months later, he won that award. And I was just so proud of him. It was just such a great moment. And Dr. Snyder got up on the podium and started asking, you know, Katara questions. He nailed every single one of them. And it was just like, okay, single row, double row. It's the same <laughs> story over. What's next? You know, and like, and that was yeah. such a debate for, for like a decade, you know, every single meeting we went to, we had to have a single row guy and we had to have a double row guy, you know, and then we went back and forth and, so it was just so fascinating to see that sort of culminate at that time. That was really, really kind of neat. So, you know, what I've been over to Canada a bunch of times, did a few road shows for a couple of companies. And, and, you know, navigating the Canadian health system within orthopedics in particular can be a great challenge, not just for the patients, but also for the surgeons, right? You, you have these great ideas and thoughts and concepts that you want to do, but then there's limitations, you know, to the system. But you, I don't want to get you in trouble, you know, I don't know if the Canadian uh, Health Service is listening right now, but you seem to have been able to, you know, figure out a way, a sort of a tertiary care facility or ability to care for patients in, in a way that's still very efficient and high quality. And so just talk, walk us through the Canadian system and, and how it works for you. Well, yeah, so, so it's definitely very different, you know, different from the training I've had down in the States to experience the, the healthcare down there. Canada, it's it's like a single payer system. You have one insurance company, and unfortunately, there's there's limited amounts of funding, limited amount of uh, of um, uh, structure for that, and you have to work within your boundaries. Um, so every center that you work in has different set of uh, restrictions. I'm very lucky here in Halifax, we have a bone bank, so we actually have Allograft at our disposal because uh, we have our own bone bank. So it doesn't cost our system any further money, which makes it quite easy to do stuff like uh, 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 when we're using grafting. Uh, being at a tertiary center is great because we get to referrals of all the complicated cases. And when you have to deal with them, unfortunately, in the Canadian healthcare system, people tend to wait a long time. So a lot of our cases come with either massive cuffs or big uh, recurrent dislocations with massive bone loss. So we got these populations that are very difficult to deal with. So you really have to come up with ways to make it more effective to treat them rather than just doing the same thing over and over again. 
Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's a perfect segue into the, the evolution of shoulder instability, which you've been a major part of. I mean, I, you know, we've talked about it on, on the podcast before in the time that I spent in learning how to do arthroscopic laterge and a very complicated surgery. And I'm like, dude, you're like, please tell me you're still not doing that in a lateral decubitus position. <laughs> yes. Well, as I said, uh, I'm only what, what I've been taught, right? I, I've been taught the SCOI way. I'm, I drank the Kool-Aid. I still do everything I was taught. Uh, I don't do anything different from what I was taught. The only thing I do is now take every tool that they've taught me and combine it into other little things to do these uh, other procedures. Yeah, but that's those innovation steps are really what makes a difference. And that's really cool. And, and so I know that, you you know, you took some ideas from the hip space and moved it up to the shoulder space. But just for, for the audience. So, so there's there's two schools on how shoulder arthroscopy is done for the people that aren't out there. We call it the beach chair when you're just sort of sitting upright. Uh, and then the surgeon works from behind you versus the lateral decubitus where the patient's on the side. And their arm is up in traction. Uh, and, and usually, you know, you pick one side or the other. You know, it was like the East Coast was beach chair. West Coast was, was lateral decubitus. Uh, but, you know, arthroscopic laterge is, you know, complex enough. And then sort of doing it 90 degrees off, you know. So you've really been only the one to master that. But, you know, anyway, moving on, just the point being. So talk to us about, you know, the, the evolution of instability for you. Because, you know, the Halifax portal in particular I think it was just brilliant and uh, it certainly made my life easier. And I just want to hear your thoughts as to how you got there and, and where you're going. What's the latest? Absolutely. Well, I, I actually love listening to your podcast. I love listening to Hugh and Sharif go through your, your story because I didn't know all those details uh, from before. Uh, my, my story is actually very similar is, is, you know, we were treating shoulder instability with massive bone loss here in Canada, people waiting years to get shoulder surgery. And then, you know, after they've had one and failed, waiting another several years to get a revision surgery. So you can imagine our, my regular bone loss was somewhere between 15 and 30% all the time. So the regular bank heart and bank and ramp massage wasn't working. It wasn't happy with it. And obviously I wasn't trained as an open surgeon, so I didn't have many latter days. We only did a few during fellowship. I wasn't uncomfortable doing that. So I had my own story. I, I, I didn't have a name. I didn't have a colleague to go out and, and, and go to Hennessy to, to visit uh, LaFosse to, to learn the arthroscopic laterge. I was lucky enough that his uh, partner, uh, um, Emilio Calvo in Spain, uh, let me visit him for a day. So the same thing, went up there, uh, saw the technique a few times, brought it back, did it in the lab a few times, and then, and then tried it on my first patient with, with my colleague who's an open surgeon so that we have a bailout. Um, and so it went great. We started doing it. I was like, of course, I'm being lateral. I did it in the lateral decubitus position. Uh, it really wasn't that much different because my brain was used to doing it lateral. I was used to using all of those things. We just had to use the tools in a slightly different way. But the thing that bothered me was after I figured it out and we did a whole bunch of them and people came to visit because nobody else wanted to do it lateral decubitus. So anyone who wanted to do a lateral decubitus latter day came up to Halifax, not a single person did it afterwards. And that kind of bothered me. I'm like, no, I know. Either. Like it's, it's hard. It's hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm like, so I suck as a teacher no. or this doesn't make sense or this is just too hard. And I like, I couldn't figure out what it was. And, and my fellows coming through they're they're all saying, you know, it, it's not really that hard. It makes sense as they go through fellowship when they see it through the whole year. And, and I just couldn't figure it out. And then finally, um, just after that time, we're looking at Preventure talking about his, his, his uh, outcomes with distal tibia. We're like, well, we have a bone bank. I could make this step maybe easier. Maybe people would start doing it if we use, you know, uh, distal tibia, uh, using the same arthroscopic ladder J tools and, and whatnot, do it arthroscopic. People might take on and, and it might be easier for me. It might be faster. Instead of a two hour procedure, it might be an hour and a half. 
So we started doing that, doing a subscap split, same all tools. But as I was looking at it, I was like, this still doesn't make sense. You know, at the end of the surgery, we'd assess it. We'd press on the shoulder. It's not like when I do a bank heart. After you finish bank heart, you look at it and you say, the humerus is nicely balanced over the glenoid. And if I push on it, it doesn't come off. You don't dislocate. But at the end of the arthroscopic ladder jay, when I cut out the capsule, I push on it. I'm like, well, it does dislocate. It comes over the bone graft. You really need that sling. I know it reforms. We have that data to show, but it, it still bothers me because some of the patients still weren't the happiest afterwards. Uh, and I still couldn't. The, my biggest thing was it doesn't matter. If I can't teach someone this, it means it's either too complicated, it's not good enough, uh, you know, other people aren't going to take it on. And even if it does work, you have a limited number of pay- people you can take care of in your lifetime. So that didn't make sense. So my fellow was actually the one who, who sat there and said, look, you know, you do a bank heart, you come over the subscap, you put that six o'clock anchor in every time, you don't need that seven o'clock port. Why don't you just put the graft in the same way? And I'm looking at him going, yeah, it's, it's almost always, you know, the fellows or the trainees ask you the simplest question, like, well, I don't have a good answer for you. So sure, why don't we do that? So we did in the lab. Sure enough, if we released all the things around the subscat, we could get low enough. We can make that graft hit exactly where we wanted, where we thought we could never do before. But we did it all the time with our bank card anchors before. Now it just have to be parallel to the glenoid. So we had to figure another way to do it. And that's where we came up with this. It wasn't called the Halifax portal. We were actually just trying to create the regular LaFosse medial portal without worrying about looking at the nerve. That's really all we're trying to do. And when we're doing that, we're like, well, why don't we just make it with a switching stick from inside out, how we got taught to do a rotator cuff. And then at the same time, we just had our 3D printers because we're learning how to do hip arthroscopy. And we're, we're trying to figure out the cam and three-dimensional anatomy. And, and really, just like you mentioned, we're bringing in the techniques we learned from other joints. So all the hip stools, tools that we learned, that using the half pipes and the, 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 the slotted cannulas, we brought those all up to the shoulder and realized that using the 3D model, I can plan the the portal's better. I can figure out where the conjoint would get in the way. I can figure out where subscap would be. I wouldn't be scared of the nerve anymore because I know the anatomy because everyone actually is different. The, why, why we struggle sometimes and we don't others is because the anatomy's changed. It's not because this is a harder case or not a harder case or we were having a bad day. It's because we didn't recognize the nuances of arthroscopy. So yeah, we've made that Halifax portal, which was just an inside out switching stick portal made parallel to the glenoid. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, this makes surgery more routine. I can teach this. I can explain this over the phone, over a camera uh, to anyone else to be able to replicate. And then all of a sudden, when people are looking and when fellows are doing it, they're, they're actually starting to do it. And I realized we're onto something, right? That, that was just the first step. Well, my wife is very appreciative because I, I can tell you since I've started moving to the Halifax portal using a distal tibial allograft, I'm convinced I've saved 10 years of my life <laughs> <laughs> because it's like I was talking to Jim O'Halloran who was doing a case the other day. And he's like, you know, he's like saying he's like, you know, when you're in the case and you're at that spot where you're just like. I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if I could do this. And then it's like, all right, calm down, take a deep breath. You could do this and then you finish. But it's like, you know, that's an arthroscopic latterge. I mean, there's, you're moving the nerves, you're looking at the axillary nerve. And with this new technique, without having to do a subscap split, you don't have to identify the axillary nerve. You know, yeah. we're doing them in 45 minutes. I mean, it's just a different, a different operation. I mean, the only thing is you got to really make sure you get down low. There's a tendency for the subscap to push you up onto the glenoid. So really make sure you got the right, you know, the portal is going to be, have to be medial enough so you can swing over and get medial. But if you can relax the subscap, internally rotate that arm and push down on the subscap, you can get the bone block in there and it's just sweet. 
Absolutely. You know, you turn a turn the, that that procedure was tough. The arthroscopic ladder day is tough. There's no question. I love not doing it anymore. Right. Like doing this, this uh, portal. And the best part is this is just a portal. This is just a technique. There's nothing to it is is now we've taken it to do so many other things. Now with Glenard fractures, big rim fractures before where we're trying to get, you know, anchors down below and, you know, double row around this graph. We no longer do that. We make a Halifax portal. You put a screw in you can put pins in you can put wire it's just the portal allows you to get a anterior approach to the rim of the glenoid that's parallel with the glenoid to do anything you want with yeah no you're absolutely right we talk about that all the time i mean understanding the anterior space of the shoulder makes you such a better shoulder surgeon you know subscap repairs the anterior glenoid that we're talking about biceps tenodesis i mean ac joint reconstructions arthroscopically i mean it just opens up so many more procedures so you know kudos to sort of figuring that out and, and, and moving on. I mean, that's just a, it's a great story. So you're, so you're so you, at this point, you do not have an indication for an arthroscopic ladder J. Your go-to procedure for major bone loss is a distal tibial allograft. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We haven't done one in ages now. In fact, uh, we, we get all kinds of referrals from them. Lots of people who normally do ladder J's, they get obviously get worried when you get shoulder instability with, uh, with, uh, coracoid fractures. We actually have, uh, few of them on their waiting list right now who are coming over. And so, yeah, it becomes a non-issue. You know, all those big shoulders that you get worried about that you're like, look, I'm going to be digging in deep. They're all getting referred because nobody wants to do them open anymore. And that's what I think was interesting from your hip arthroscopy. That's why it works well, right? Because hip arthroscopy is not necessarily a joint anymore. It's really the spaces around the hip, your gluteus medius repairs, your hamstring stuff and all that stuff. So that's a very common, common ground between shoulder and hip arthroscopy. Do you think so? It, it's it's so it, it actually opens the world. It, I kind of bring things back and forth and back and forth. So we started doing this bone block, and then all of a sudden, you know, people are starting doing you know label reconstructions down in the hip. Just it's label reconstructions like just doing a bank heart repair, and you just got to lay a new piece of tissue to make it look like a bank heart. So all of a sudden, label reconstruction in the hip are super easy. I take all the techniques we've done we've been doing in the shoulder for so long, move down the hip, and all of a sudden, label reconstructions are, are simple. And we can teach these. We can do all the techniques and slide them around. And, and as we go in the hip and realize how deep it is and we can figure out the anchors and using different percutaneous portals, we bring it right back up to the shoulder because, you know, now massive cuffs, you know, you're, you're one of the big proponents showing how, how big SCRs can be done. We've moved the SCR from losing that, right? With, when shoulder instability comes on, you're missing capsule in the front. And if you have normal bone, we can do an anterior capsule reconstruction the same way. We can build the whole capsule from the inside out. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, I mean, other, I, I'm, other than Justin Bieber, I'm a huge fan of Justin Bieber. Just gonna, totally, <laughs> they make fun of me in the operating room because they tell me I have the music taste of a 17-year-old girl. I'm like, look, put on a jacket. It's 65 degrees in here. We're going to open up some boxes and we're going to listen to Bieber. All right. But aside from that, so two of my other favorite Canadians are George Athwal and Danny Goyle. So are you involved in Danny's project at all as far as the education with the virtual reality? Uh, they, they have, they have associations with lots of the universities across Canada. So yes, we, we have been playing with his system with, uh, with, uh, precision OS. It's very nice. Yeah, no, I think that's going to be a major tool. There's a lot of, I mean, they have a great product and I love, I mean, I always joke around too, with my kids, you know, there's, there's hope for you now with all the video games that you're playing that maybe one day, you know, you, you'll, you'll be a surgeon who knows, but, uh, it sounds like education is such an important thing for you to pass on your ideas and your fellows and train your fellows. And one of the things that you said so important, which is I can only take care of so many patients. So you need to be able to train other people to do these unique, really innovative ideas. So again, great job, brother. 
Absolutely. Well, um, uh, again, you are you are who trains you. That's I I believe that, right? So so uh, I I keep falling back to time at SCOE. I know Snyder took me aside. Gettleman took me aside. Essentially, they looked at me at, at you know halfway through fellowship. They go, you know, you're never going to be happy just being an orthopedic surgeon. You you got to be at a teaching center. You you got to try to teach someone because if you try to teach someone, you'll always be challenged. If you just try to do the surgery, you're going to be bored. In just a couple of years, you'll be bored. And, and there's no question. Uh, the worst part is, was when you're bored, if you don't have a trainee or I, if I didn't have a trainee to ask me questions, I wasn't asking the question. So, so having the fellows, having the residents, having other people, having other surgeons talking about things, having, you, having them question you why, why you're doing what you're doing, that's really what drives you and what, what drives you to be better and drives you to, to, to uh, prove what you're doing is better. Yeah, no, the, that's a, such a great point. And there's a couple of things I want to talk about before we finish up. And and one is, you know, the exchange of ideas. I mean, as a for me as a private practitioner, I've always tried to associate myself with great thought leaders who are doing really cool things. And so you go to these, you know, professional education meetings or CME meetings, and you're 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 always exchanging ideas, always coming away with uh, even more than what you bring for sure. But that's like that's one of the things that's happening right now: the communication to be able to do that is severely limited in this pandemic. So, you know, I do a bunch of consulting work for, for a number of companies of which you should definitely start sponsoring this podcast, people. Hello, what are you waiting for? Look at this stuff we're doing here. But you know, having said that, uh, you know, it's hard at this point now to communicate uh, surgeon to surgeon and do surgical technique and do labs. And these things are so important for, for the, per, you know, the progress of what we're doing for innovation. So, I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, we're doing some virtual stuff. How are you communicating right now? Are you, you, you got your upside down Yeti and I'm totally Yeti jealous right now. I mean, you've got the best microphone people. So, so like, obviously you're doing some stuff in the house. So tell us what's going on. What are you up to? Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you, I, I know it's been difficult, but, but this pandemic, at least for me, my family has been awesome. Um, not having to travel for the last 10 months, I've got to spend with my family. Um, so, so normally I schedule probably about two trips a month to go for conferences. And again, while I go for conferences, it's not really to go teach. It's, it's actually for me to go learn. Cause I learn more than I, I get more than I ever give. Um, and, and that's why I love it. But now it's almost every week, several times a week. We have these, the, the webinars are great. I know people get tired of them. Um, I think they're wonderful, but, but now they're starting to move to the next level. We just finished doing our second virtual cadaver lab where, you know, other surgeons who want to learn uh, shoulder instability surgery with bone graft, where I would sit here and, and, and navigate them through their lab. They're sitting in the cadaver. So I've, we've got them to set up a video. So outside feed, inside feed, multiple views. We have a whole camera set up that I kind of guide them through. Uh, I have uh, uh, my Yeti. <laughs> we have multiple cameras. I, I, you can't see me here. I got three screens. Because I share different aspects. I have a PowerPoint at the same time. I have an inside outside view. I have a surgical video guides to go through. But I think this is a whole a, a chance for a whole new way to teach. Because before, when you know somebody would have to fly and see us here in Halifax, that's a lot of time out of somebody's life, right? Not everyone's going to want to do that. I know you do that. Like you're you're on top of your game, but but not everyone wants to do that. So now we can do this virtually. I don't have to travel. They don't have to travel. So really the time is just the time in the lab we spend. So oh, it's only three hours. That's all we had to do. That's including setup, uh, review of the whole procedure, uh, doing the case, and then, you know, a discussion afterwards. And then we all go out to go home to our families 
and have dinner. Yeah, that, that, I mean, if, if Danny Goyle gets his stuff together, come on, Danny, we should be able to be operating in, in my master bedroom closet suite. I'll have the residents just set everything up and I'll sit at home and I can operate from home. Well, maybe one day, but probably not so much. But that's super cool. And and a lot of companies are starting to think about how they can they can do that. I did a really neat uh, webinar Tuesday night with Rod Woodson, NFL Hall of Famer, uh, for flexion therapeutics. And we were talking about Zaretta. He's had Zaretta injection done to his knee. So it's almost like, all right, now, like, who wants to sit through a pharma deck, right? I mean, that's incredibly right. boring, right? But if you're going to try new medications, if you're going to do new things, you need to be able to do that. So now it was sort of, sort of like a, it was a play-by-play in a color, right? You know, I'm giving the deck, and then Rod's talking about his lifestyle and the things that he's doing. And we had 40 people in the room that were really excited to hear about it. So it was, uh, you know, it was frotastic. Uh, what, how, do we, how do we describe it? It was frotastic. Uh, edutainment, education and entertainment simultaneously. That, that goes out to, uh, to Beth Best. Love you. All right. Um, so, no, that's really cool. Well, the other things that, that I find that you do remarkably well is you're very well balanced amongst the medical device companies. So you've got your Halifax portal, you got your bone block. And Smith and Nephew's knocking on your door. We've got a new implant. We want you to be able to use Pascoboyo's button. Will you do it? And then, and my tech's knocking on the door, saying, "We've got these really cool new ladder J screws. Will you do a technique for us?" And the answer is yes. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, I, I you know, um, again, going back, you are who you're trained by. So, so the belief is you're, you're not going for you're not the representative of a company. You're there to try find the best possible solution for the patient. And so sure enough, we went through the whole development process of developing this Halifax portal using the screws uh, and, and figuring out a way to do that. Then we have great results. Like we were just uh, submitted our seven, uh, five to seven year outcomes on these. They're looking fantastic. Um, um, I think we're getting a review. We just had a review back on that. So, so that'll come out. Um, but that doesn't mean that's going to be the best. We still have problems. I still have to take out about 5% of the screws. Probably because at the first bit of time we were learning, I thought making a supersized glenoid was great, but the bone root models to exactly the right size that it should be. It won't be supersized because God didn't make us that way. They are what they are. So when it resorbs, the screws were too long. Now I had to remove them. So maybe without screws is great. And Sir Smith and Nephew came up with a button system. Pascal Boileau designed it. He says that this is better. This can be exactly like screws. I'm like, great. We can do that with our, our technique has nothing to do with that. We can put distal tibia in using that, see if it works. So we're in the process of trying to figure that out. We have a study going on. So almost every one of these things that they want, they're like, look, we want to try something new. We'll bring it into a study. So all these things are coming through a study portion to be able to see what is going to be better. We have something. We want to know if the next thing's going to be better. We don't want to go backwards. We just want to go forward. Great, great stuff. I mean, I love it, Ivan. You're you're an amazing thought leader, innovative. Education is so important to you. Paying it forwards is so important to you. And that's these are the exact type of stories that we like to have on the Ortho Show podcast. It's really been a pleasure having you on. We can't thank you enough for your time. Thanks a lot. Well, it's my pleasure. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, uh, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time. <laughs>